This is Dan Fleisch, and this is the ninth podcast for Chapter 1 of A Student's Guide to Maxwell's Equations. The subject of this podcast is the enclosed charge, written Q sub ENC, and this section begins on page 16 of the text. Now, if you've been tracking the whole development of the left side of Gauss's law for electric fields, you're probably not surprised that the right side includes only charge that is enclosed by the surface over which the electric flux has been determined. The reason for that, of course, is that in the electrostatic case, electric field lines begin on positive charge and end on negative charge. So any charge that's outside a closed surface may produce field lines that penetrate that surface, but if they go in, they also have to come out unless the charge resides inside the surface. Remember, flux is a two-way street. Positive flux comes out of a closed surface, negative flux goes into a closed surface. So any external charge produces equal amounts of positive and negative flux on a closed surface. On the other hand, if you have net positive charge inside that surface, then there's going to be more outgoing, that is positive flux, than there is incoming flux. Likewise, if you have more negative charge inside the closed surface, there's going to be a preponderance of incoming or negative flux. So it should make some physical sense to you that the total enclosed charge is what determines the electric flux through a closed surface surrounding that charge. Now, how do you determine how much charge is enclosed? In some problems, you're given charge in various locations and you're free to draw a surface around it. If those are discrete, that is, individual little charges, it's pretty easy. You simply sum up the individual charges. This is shown in the middle of page 16. The total enclosed charge in that case is just the sum of Q sub I, that is, the individual charges, where I goes from 1 to N, where N is the number of charges. That's the simplest case, and two examples of that are shown on the bottom of the page in figure 1-9. The leftmost part of that figure shows a point charge with a sphere surrounding it, and the next one to the right, multiple point charges with an enclosing cube. To get the total flux through each of those surfaces, all you would need to know is how many discrete charges are enclosed and how much charge is on each one. Slightly more complex situation comes about when instead of having individual discrete charges, you're faced with something like a line with a charge density, that is, charges distributed all along that line. Or maybe a surface with some area charge density, that is, some number of coulombs per square meter. Or even a volume, where the charge is arrayed throughout that volume with some number of coulombs per cubic meter. Those three forms of charge density are shown at the top of page 17, where in one dimension you have linear charge density, often written with the Greek symbol lambda, and having units of coulombs per meter. If you have two-dimensional area of charge, the symbol sigma is often used for that, and the units are coulombs per square meter. And if you have a whole volume of charge, three-dimensional case, rho, the Greek letter rho, is often used to represent that, and the units are coulombs per cubic meter. Now, if the density of charge, that is the number of coulombs per meter, square meter, or cubic meter, is constant, then finding the total enclosed charge is relatively easy. The equations 112, 113, and 114 show you what to do in the case of one, two, or three dimensions. If you have a linear charge density of lambda and your enclosing surface encloses length L of that, to find the total enclosed charge, you simply multiply the charge density, coulombs per meter, by L, the number of meters that your enclosing surface has, and you get the total enclosed charge in coulombs. If the charge is spread over an area and your enclosing surface includes area A of that surface, then you simply multiply the two-dimensional charge density sigma times the enclosed area A, and you get the total enclosed charge. And finally, if your charge is distributed throughout a volume and your enclosing surface has some number of cubic meters of that volume, you take the density rho times the number of cubic meters enclosed, multiply those together, and you get the number of coulombs for the enclosed charge. 
Of course, in many cases, the charge density is not uniform along the line or over the area or throughout the volume. In that case, instead of simply multiplying the charge density times the length, area, or volume, you need to do an integration. That's shown in equations 1, 15, 16, and 17, where in this case, lambda, the number of coulombs per meter, may be different as you move along that line. In the same way, in the two-dimensional case, you may have an area with different amounts of charge on one part than on another part, and so, of course, you can't simply multiply that area by the charge density. There's not one single charge density. There's a changing charge density. And likewise, in the volume, if the charge density, the coulombs per cubic meter, is not constant, you need to integrate over that volume. This is very reminiscent of something that's covered in the surface integral section of this chapter. If you haven't read that part or listened to that podcast, you might want to do that if this part isn't clear to you. In that section, we used a variable mass density over an area to illustrate how surface integrals are used, and that's a very close analogy to how equation 116 lets you find the total enclosed charge. By the way, there's a note at the bottom of page 17 that refers to the fact that the charge in this form of Gauss's law is the total charge, which includes both free charge and bound charge. There's a little discussion of bound charge in the next section, and if you want a version of Gauss's Law that only depends on free charge, you should look in the appendix.